How many of you have seen the classic uh, musical Fiddler on the Roof? All right, a bunch of you. Well, if you haven't seen it, we own it. You can borrow it if you'd like to see it. But who could forget Tevye's iconic solo in the barn with the dust and the corn flying? If I were a rich man, yibba-dabba-dabba-dabba. Do you remember the arms? Dabba-dabba-dum. Well, that's classic. And later in the movie, Tevya and Golda share a heartwarming scene where they wrestle with the question of their love for each other. Do you love me? Do you remember that? Well, you, you may sometimes feel like that with God. Do you love me? And perhaps the events of your life lead you to wonder if God actually does love you. And the answer is yes. Our Father loves us, His children, and is keeping His promises. The problem is not that God fails to keep His promises, but that we grow impatient and our faith is sometimes unfocused. We sometimes try to work it out on our own, and that doesn't work. My point is simple. God always keeps His promises, and He is so kind to remind us in His Word. Years passed after God firmly established his covenant with Abram. Uh, You remember the the bloody animal carcasses in that ceremony. And Abram still had no son and the land was still occupied by pagans. It didn't seem like God was keeping his promises. Abram believed he was counted righteous by God through faith, but he was impatient and his faith was unfocused. More on that in a little bit. As a review, it is very important uh, for us to understand that God preached the gospel to the gospel of Christ to Abram, and Abram believed the gospel and was justified. Remember that Jesus Christ told some Jews that Abraham saw his day and was glad. Paul said in Galatians 3:8 that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. From Abraham's loins would come a blessing for the nations. Well, we ask, what blessing? And Paul wrote in Galatians 3.16, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And then Paul told us that the offspring is Christ, the blessing of the nations. So make no mistake, the Abrahamic covenant is about Christ. And when we hear that Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness... It communicates to us a lot about the gospel, a lot about salvation in Christ alone. Abraham was a sinner saved by God's grace through the gift of faith. Therefore, Abraham is a member of Christ, a member of the one true church, a member of the royal priesthood and holy nation of believers. Review the promises that God made to Abraham uh, in Genesis 12, 13, and 15 and review them with Christ in mind and God may just open your eyes to see more clearly the one covenant of grace streaming through the old covenant right into the new covenant. God's plan has always been to redeem one people for himself through all ages, and to dwell with His people in the new, redeemed world forever. The Father would achieve this redemption through the Son and apply it to His chosen people by the Spirit. 
Isaac, Jacob, Israel, the land of Canaan, they're all important to the story, but they're far from the point of the story. The point of the story and fulfillment of the covenant is Jesus Christ, God's Son, the mediator of the covenant, the prophet, priest, and king, and the heir of all things. In Christ, God's chosen people inherit the world, as Romans 4 talks about. You may have heard the organization Answers in Genesis. It's a good organization. Uh, The book of Genesis answers some significant theological questions today. Uh, After all, Genesis begins God's story of redemption. We can't make sense of redemption without the book of Genesis. It begins the whole story. And so the Abrahamic covenant within the book of Genesis advances the gospel promise that we get in Genesis 3.15 and gives shadows and types of the redemptive work of Christ. We'll continue to see this as we go along. And don't forget, the Abrahamic covenant helps us rightly interpret the rest of Scripture after it. Now, I've been trying for for several weeks to establish one uh, massive point that shows the great harmony between the Old and the New Covenants or the Old and the New Testaments, that Abraham was a believer justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, just as we are today, except he was justified under the Old Covenant before Christ and we are justified under the New Covenant after Christ. Same covenant of grace, one, but different uh, administrations, different time periods. If, if you believe that, what I've been trying to communicate, some important distinctives of Reformed theology should fall into place for you. Before heading into Genesis 17, we need a glimpse, a quick glimpse of Genesis 16. Genesis 16 was a low spiritual point for Abram. Uh, Years had passed and he had no offspring. God, his promise stood, uh, yet Abraham was impatient and his faith was unfocused. In the pain of barrenness, Sarai devised her own plan. What if Abram, my husband now, took my servant Hagar as a second wife? I could have children through her. I just, that, my mind goes, how desperate does a woman have to be to want her husband to have a child with another man? Really? Really? That's messed up, people. Verse 2 says, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now get this. Abram listened to the sexually immoral words of his wife and failed to listen to the sacred words of God. In Genesis 15, 4, God said, your very own son will be your heir. And that promise, in light of marriage that's explained in Genesis 2, was meant to be fulfilled within the sanctity of the marriage covenant between Abram and Sarai. But nonetheless, Abram took Hagar, and Hagar conceived, and at the age of 86 years old, Abram finally had a son, but not the son of promise. Abram was impatient, and his faith was unfocused. 
Ishmael was not the son of promise. And, and Ishmael would be an unbelieving, antagonistic covenant breaker. The offspring of promise would come through God's means, in God's timing. So in Genesis 17, Abram is in a bad place spiritually. His focus was on Ishmael, and he had all but given up hope on the son of promise. Genesis 17, 18 confirms this. Right after God promised Abram that Sarai would bear him a son, Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Ishmael, my son Ishmael. He, he was focused on Ishmael, but God would not establish his covenant with Ishmael. Ishmael was the son according to the flesh, as Paul talked about, but Isaac would be the son according to the spirit. Isaac was the one that foreshadowed a greater son. As is often difficult for believers, Abram needed to wait and he needed to trust God. Now Genesis 17, here's the first point. God comes to his chosen people in low times and gives them the gospel. Verse 1 says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. It had been, I think, 20 to 25 years since the bloody animal ratification ceremony. Abram's faith needed revitalization. He needed a wake-up call. He needed something. And, and he needed to refocus on God's gospel promises. Now we ask the question, how did God go about revitalizing Abram's faith? Well, he started by appearing to Abram and then communicating divine truth to Abram. Revitalization began with God's reminder of who he is. I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty, which is the title for the one true God who has complete power to keep his promises. One devotional said this, a better foundational meaning of El Shaddai may be the overpowerer, which emphasizes God's power to achieve all his purposes, end of quote. What, what better way to refocus Abram than to say, I am God Almighty. God reminded Abram of his omnipotence and his ability to do all that he had promised to do. How kind, how compassionate, how appropriate of God to give a struggling believer a reminder of his sovereign power. Abram may not have had the promised son yet, but Abram's God was almighty God. So Abram could take hope in God. You see what, what God was doing? He was refocusing Abram's faith upon the glory of his power. Then in light of God's almighty power, God gave Abram a covenant condition. Walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless, a condition that followed God's redeeming grace and the gift of faith. Walk before me and be blameless assumes justification by God's gift of faith. God was instructing Abram to live out his faith, to do that which was consistent with his faith. Remember the suzerain vassal treaties which stated what the suzerain demanded the vassal to do. 
And in this case, God, the absolute sovereign, the absolute suzerain, commanded, walk before me and be blameless. The condition of the covenant of grace is faith. Faith. We see that in Genesis 15, 6. And true saving faith always, this is very important to understand, always produces real joyful obedience. It always happens. It never fails to produce obedience, joyful obedience. I want to do what God does because His grace has come to me and He has justified me by His gift of faith. God called Abram to an obedience which overflowed from his true faith. i got to say that I've learned so much from Dr. Ligon Duncan. I greatly appreciate the man and, and greatly... Uh, respect him. He's the chancellor and CEO of uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, and he's a professor there. He was my, hands down, my favorite uh, speaker this year at Together for the Gospel in, in Louisville. And he said this about Abram in one of his sermons. He is to truly love God and trust God and worship God from the inside out. And his outward actions are to flow from that inward trust in God. He is to walk before him and be blameless. End of quote. You, you get that? From the inside out. My heart. My hands are linked to my heart. And Robert Canlish, the 19th century Scottish minister, added this. To walk thus before God is impossible. If there be not redeeming love on his part, apprehended by faith on our part, to be perfect, guileless, and upright is thus walking before God, is the great duty of the believer. Believer. See, only believers like Abram can walk before God and be blameless. Because only believers possess the righteousness of God by faith. Abram received God's power and God's grace through faith. When you're spiritually low, when life looks grim, when you're impatient and your faith is scattered and unfocused, when you're wondering, does he love me? What could strengthen you more than God coming to you and through His Word lovingly reminding you of who He is? Your God is Almighty God. He will keep all His promises by His power. Now to Him who is able to do more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to what? The power, the power, the power at work in us. Ephesians 3.20, what a promise. What a promise from our almighty God. And this leads to the second point. God kindly reminds his chosen people of his gospel covenant promises. Listen again to what God said to Abram in verses 1 through 7. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. That I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. 
Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. What was God doing for Abram? He was reminding him of his covenant, confirming his covenant, and even more, revealing more about his covenant. God was not making at this moment a new covenant with Abram. He was firming up the covenant that he had already made and ratified years before. We could say that God was establishing or making firm or making strong his covenant with Abram. In verse 2, God once again promised to multiply Abram greatly. Now, we've heard that language before in in God promising Abraham. Uh, How did Abram respond? He fell on his face in humility, awe, and adoration. God's presence commands humility, awe, and adoration. When God comes to you, And when he reminds you through the preached word that you are in covenant with him because of his sovereign grace, worship is the only fitting response. Now consider verse 4 carefully. And the the ESV, it doesn't capture this, but the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates verse 4, as for me. Verse 4. And then down in verse 9, God says, as for you. Do you understand what's happening there? As for me, as for you. In verses 4 through 8, God laid out what he was doing. And then in verses 9 through 14, God laid out what Abram was to do in response to what God was doing. Sounds like a suzerain vassal treaty. So verses 4 through 8 is what God does for Abram. And verses 9 through 14, which we'll get into next week, that, is, that explains the conditions that Abram needed to do. Now, as you look at verses 4 through 8, notice that God reviewed the covenant, confirmed it, and added some new information. The promises of verses 4 through 8 should sound very familiar to you because that's what we've been in for a while now. Uh, It's just kind of a review type of thing. So let's go through the promises. Number one, in verse 2, God said, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. God was reviewing at that point of what he had already set up. Number two, in verse four, God added, behold, or you could say, as for me, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Not only would Abram have a son by Sarai, not only would God make Abram a great nation, but God would make Abram the father of many nations. Ah, the Midianites, Ishmaelites, Edomites, and Israelites were all descended from Abram. God graciously gave him a constant reminder of this promise by changing his name. 
Abram means exalted father, and Abraham means father of a multitude. For years, probably seemed like a super long time to Abram, he was called exalted father while having no children. You sense that tension? Now he'd be called a father of a multitude while having only one son and not the son of promise. What irony is going on here? And the phrase, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations in verse 5 is quoted in Romans 4.17 in the Greek perfect tense, which I think emphasizes the fact that even though Abram had only one son and not even the son of promise, the reality of his being the father of many nations was so certain, so definite, so assured in the sovereign plan of God that it could be referred to as if it was current reality. The promise is so connected to the reality that Scripture speaks of it as completed. Before it was completed. What is time when God's promises are certain? See, Romans 4 explains who the multitude of nations really are. Jews and Gentiles alike, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who trust in Christ. This is about Christ. Number three, verse 6 Uh, God again promised to make Abram exceedingly fruitful, promised to make him into nations and added, and kings shall come from you. Abrahamic kings would rise from the Midianites and Ishmaelites and Edomites and Israelites. And certainly David and Solomon are in view here. They're foreshadowed. But, But dear saints, dear saints, who is the preeminent Abrahamic king? Four. This one will be very important in the coming weeks, particularly the next two weeks. In verse 7, God said this. Please listen carefully and draw the theological connections here. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Don't miss that. God's gracious gospel covenant, the covenant in which God promised Abram Christ and eternal life is a covenant for Abram's offspring as much as it is for Abram, the believer. We could say it like this, God's covenant of grace is for believers and their children. Verse 7 only confirms that the Abrahamic covenant is a gospel covenant because of these words, to be God to you. That's gospel. That's God graciously taking a people for himself and being a God, being a father to them. This is gospel, but God would not simply be Abram's God. He would be Abram's children's God. God entered into everlasting covenant with Abram's children. And that's huge theologically. That may be a paradigm shift for a lot of you. 
It's also significant that it is an everlasting covenant. So the covenant of grace has generations in mind. The covenant of grace has families in mind. The covenant of grace has households in mind. Number five. In verse eight, God promised to give all the land of Canaan to Abram and his offspring for an everlasting possession. And, and I want to ask the question, does that promise point beyond real estate in the Middle East? So let me ask you this question as you process it. Did Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob actually possess the land that God promised to them? No. No. And so the next question is, did God break his promise? So God's a liar? No. See, the nation of Israel did eventually possess the land as God said, but then they were exiled out of it because of their covenant unfaithfulness or unbelief. So God broke his promise. No way. Because God's promise points beyond Middle Eastern real estate to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, and all other believers possessing all the world as co-heirs with Christ. The promise of eternal life with God on a redeemed earth was given to Abram and Abram's children and his children's children and so on. Abram, uh, Isaac, and Jacob will inherit the earth just as you will, believer. That's the promise of the the covenant of grace, the Abrahamic covenant. Six, Uh, this is hugely important. Verses seven and eight give us what some call the Emmanuel principle or the heart of the covenant of grace. So if you can remember this, you have the core of the covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. Which is repeated in the Old Testament, Leviticus, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. This is the covenant promise. In fact, this is the promise implied in Genesis 3.15. God would provide a serpent-crushing seed to suffer and to redeem in order for God to be the God of the redeemed and for the redeemed to belong to God and to benefit from His loving, shepherding, fathering. This is beautiful grace. This is marvelous grace. This is amazing grace. And let me ask, to whom did God promise this? I will be their God. Who's that promise for? Simple, Abram and his children. Did God's gracious and covenant, uh, gospel covenant, guarantee that Abram's descendants would be saved and receive all the blessings of the covenant of grace? Did it guarantee that? And the answer is no. The, The gracious covenant promised redemption in Christ only if the covenant condition of faith was met. Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Walk before me and be blameless. Abraham and his offspring, and later we find out that it's Abram's entire household. Entire household. Were brought into the gracious covenant with Abraham. Were also given the gospel promises, but they would only receive the blessings of God's covenant as Abraham did, if they met the condition of faith along with Abraham. 
If Abraham's offspring failed to believe from within the covenant that they were part of, this gracious covenant, this covenant of grace, well, they would be covenant breakers and they would be cut off from the covenant community of God and receive the curses promised by God in the covenant. It's the same today, folks. The same today. Abraham's offspring were not all believers. So how can we make sense of the phrase, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated? Well, it makes sense because though Esau was an offspring of Abraham, a child of the covenant, he was cut off from the electing covenant love and blessing of God because of both election and, this is very important, his unbelief. His unbelief. Let's drive this home now. You may have or have had the most wonderful Christian parents. You may be a long-term member of Jerusalem Church. You may regularly receive God's ordinary means of grace, the word, sacraments, and prayer. But unless you trust Christ and walk before God in spirit-empowered holiness, you are a covenant breaker and will receive the curses of the covenant. Don't ever expect to be blessed by God without faith in Christ. You will not be blessed without Christ. You will perish without Christ. But when you trust Christ, brothers and sisters, in that great union with our Savior, God sustains your faith. God grows your faith and grants you all the blessings of the covenant through your covenant-keeping Savior and Lord and treasure Jesus who shares it all with you. Is there any reason, unbelievers who are sitting out there, and I know you are, that you would not run to Christ That you would not find yourself loved by Almighty God to to have all of His blessings and, and to find that the answer is yes for you in Christ. Come to Christ. Flee to Christ. I don't care how long you've been here. I don't care how old you are or what your spiritual past has been. Flee to Christ because if you don't know Him, if you are not united to Him, if you don't trust in Him, none of the blessings of the covenant will be yours and all of the curses will be yours. That's not what we want. We want you to know Him and to cherish Him and to be blessed in and by Him. Flee to Christ. He's willing to share. This leads to my third point. God's covenant of grace includes children of believers. Look at verse 7 again. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Now, understand what was going on here. God gave that promise to a believer. A believer. That's what Abraham was. 
Abraham was a believer, a believer who was justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He was redeemed and he was brought into the gracious covenant by God's sovereign grace. But Abraham was not the only one brought into the gracious covenant. Abram's offspring, the offspring of a believer, Abraham's kids were brought into the covenant with him. His entire household was brought into the gospel covenant with him. The The covenant promises are for believers and their children and, in fact, their entire household. Their entire household. Can you see that? Just be a fair question here. Can you see that in the Abrahamic covenant? It's right there in the text. I'm not inserting anything weird here that we are not drawing right from the text. And this has massive implications for the new covenant, which is the same covenant of grace, simply at a different time. Now, the Abrahamic covenant, as I have shown, or at least really tried hard to show in this series, is gospel. It's about Christ, and it's about heaven. And God gave that promise to believers, and right here we see it, he gave it to believers and their children. The promise is for the children as well. We see that play out in the rest of the Old Testament through tons of years of church history, or the Old Covenant, we could say, and we see it carry right into the New Testament, and just to give you a little taste here of Acts 2, we see this exact same thing taught by the Apostle Peter in the New Covenant. When God says, I will be your God and you will be my people, it was not simply for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who believed, but it was for all their offspring as well, and I'm referring to physical offspring of all believers under the old covenant. God's gospel promises, which are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ, are for believers and their children in the old covenant, and as we'll see later in the new covenant as well. What we find as the Abrahamic narrative continues from this point, is that Abraham's offspring and uh, uh, household were part of the covenant. That was a, it's huge. It's obvious in the text. And yet not all his offspring and his household were saved because not all of his offspring believed. A lot of his offspring were covenant breakers and not covenant keepers. And this is crucial biblical theological point, this point that I'm making for the coming weeks. So if you haven't tracked with me up until this point, the next two weeks are going to be very difficult for you. But if you're tracking and if you're seeing where the trajectory of this is going, it's going to get interesting next week and in the following week. Uh, We're going to have some, some good dialogue because I know likely, uh, I know there's a divide in the congregation. Uh, over this issue, and so we're going to get there next week. But here's how I'd like to wrap this week up. God's covenant of grace has always been about Christ, believers from all nations, and their inheritance of all the world. Listen to verse 8 again. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Is verse 8 really all about the nation of Israel and a small strip of land in the Middle East? And that's a good question to wrestle with, and different Christians are going to land in different places. 
But God was promising Abraham and his offspring much more than blessings in this life. He was promising them Christ and a redeemed world where God would live with them forever. Calvin rightly said this, in this single word, we are plainly taught that this was a spiritual covenant not confirmed in reference to the present life only, but one from which Abraham might conceive the hope of eternal salvation, so that being raised even to heaven, he might lay hold of solid and perfect bliss. End of quote. And then Calvin added this, God again repeats that he will be a God to the posterity of Abraham, in order that they may not settle upon earth but may regard themselves as trained for higher things. God, through the covenant, is pushing us higher than this earth, higher than this land. He's getting us to look at something much more than a strip of real estate in the Middle East. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never received the land promised to them. Not in this life, but in eternity. Get this. They'll enjoy the whole world given to them. Redeemed by Christ, a redeemed world, that was promised to them. In Christ, the whole world is promised, received, and enjoyed forever. Now, is this scriptural? This is the point of Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16, which says this. Listen closely. Right after talking about Abraham and his offspring. These all died in faith not having received the things promised. And that, that should, right there at that moment, if we pause, you should think, not having received, the, so is God a liar. Why didn't they receive what was promised? What's going on there? What, what does that mean? Well, he continues, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. I love that language, a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is just dripping with covenantal language. It was always pointing about the celestial city and inheritance that they have in Christ. Beloved saints, dear ones, and even if you sense a tension inside of you, I'm working on being a more gentle man because I get real dogmatic up here. And I love you guys so much, and I know I'm a belligerent fool sometimes. And so I want to be so gentle because I know at this point we have disagreement here, okay? So all I want to do is just humbly present to you some arguments so, uh, of how I see it as what God is actually saying in these texts. So that maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit will unite us around some things that we find very precious here as a Reformed church. Beloved saints, God's covenant of grace has always been about Christ and the promise of eternal life in Him, a promise of a redeemed eternal world. And, and as we see from Abraham on, this gospel promise is for believers. And you know what? It's for believers and their children. And it's for all those who are far off. It is for the nations of the world. Lincoln Duncan said it so well. He preached this in a sermon that I listened to and was helped by. 
So listen, it's a long paragraph, but I think you'll, you'll like what he's saying. Hopefully, you agree with it. One last question that Paul answers from Genesis 17, and if you'll look back to Romans 4, verse 13, you'll see the answer to it. What is the land? What is the land that is promised to Abram? Abram never possessed himself anything but his burial plot in the land of Canaan. Did God forfeit his promise to Abraham? Israel was lost to the Babylonians. Did God forfeit his promise to Abraham? The Apostle Paul in Romans 4, 13 says no for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world. You see, the promise of God to Abraham for the land of Canaan is transcended in the new covenant. That is hinted at when the land is lost in the exile. And the prophets then begin to think, what is God exactly going to do in the new covenant? And Paul answers, the promise is the world. The new heavens and the new earth. The humble shall inherit the world literally. All those who trust in the God of Abram will become the possessors of the new heaven and the new earth in Christ. That last line is vital. All those who trust in the God of Abram will become the possessors of the new heaven and the new earth in Christ. Beloved saints, when you look at your circumstances and you feel deep within yourself the the struggle, do you love me? You must look to Christ by faith. Where all the gospel covenant promises of God find their yes, find their fulfillment. If you are a believer who trusts in Christ this morning, the promises of the gospel are yours. The promise of the covenant of grace, they're yours. And even more, and this is so precious and so comforting, The promises of the gospel are also for your children. Teach your children to trust God. Teach your children to believe God. Teach your children to find joy in God's gospel promises. And if they do, if they believe along with you, if they meet the condition of the covenant of faith, they will receive with you all the blessings of the covenant, all the blessings of the gospel. So children with believing parents, children of believing parents, teenagers of believing parents, adults who grew up in Christian homes, please listen. If you are not walking by faith in union with Christ, you are a covenant breaker and you will receive the curses of the covenant no matter how long you've gone to church. God gave you grace in your Christian parents. God gave you grace in your local church. God gave you grace in gospel preaching and gospel sacraments. But if you persist in unbelief, you will perish in your sins. So instead, trust Christ now and walk by faith and spirit now and find yourself guaranteed forever all the blessings that God gives in the covenant with Him. I want, as your pastor, nothing more than for you to receive the eternal blessings of God's marvelous covenant of grace. If you wonder, what's that guy really all about? What's he trying to do here? Hmm? He's been here for five years and I've been here for 400. 
What's he trying to do with our church? You know what? I'll just put my cards on the table, which I feel like I have already. I want you to receive the eternal blessings of the covenant of grace and to be happy in Christ. That's what I want most. That's a gift you can give to me as your pastor. Gift to your elders. And so I plead with you to trust Christ alone for salvation, for life, for death, for sanctification so that you may find your greatest joy and your greatest pleasure in Him, in being like Him and all the blessings that that Jesus Christ gives, that God gives, that the Spirit gives you in the covenant you have and you enjoy now and forevermore. You see, my faith is very weak. Don't be under some... Uh, delusion that your pastor is the strongest Christian here or has it all down or that my faith is just unwavering. I get so distracted, I get so disheartened, and you know what? So do you. So do you. And so let us together remember that God always keeps his promises, always, without fail, and he is so kind to remind us of this in his word. God loves you, dear believer. He will not forsake you, dear believer. He will sustain you and grow your faith so that in Christ you can enjoy His covenant blessings forever. Do you love me? And His answer is yes. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this very clear word. You give us a picture of the gospel in the Abrahamic covenant. It's, it's types and shadows, no doubt. But we know who fulfilled it. We know what it's about. And God, you gave this promise to a believer who trusted your word, who believed what you told him. And his faith, man, he had some low points. Hagar, Ishmael, that was a big low point. And yet you came to him You came to Abram who was justified already by faith. He was walking by faith. His faith was just distracted. And you gave him the promises and yet we know without a shadow of a doubt that it wasn't just for him. These gospel promises were for his kids and his household. And so God, I I, I pray that you would bring unity here at Jerusalem Church, that we would see that the gospel promises are not simply for us believers, but they're for our children, and that the stipulation, the covenant stipulation, the condition is faith. They're in the covenant. The gospel is promised to them if they have faith, and if they don't have faith, they're cut off, just as all of redemptive history shows us. And so, God, I pray for unity. I pray that we find this beautiful. I pray that we can look and see that you are almighty God and that you honor every single one of your promises. You will break none. No, we might not be rich in this life. We may not have perfect health in this life. We may not have everything go exactly how we planned. Our family might be a wreck. Our friends, we might not have many. We may grumble and complain and lose sight. Man, there's so much sin that is part of us, and yet, God, you are sustaining our faith and helping us to look. You're reminding us Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and through the week, through your word that's accessible to us like never before in the history of the world. We can read your word on our own at home. 
And you remind us over and over again, I keep my promises. I am Almighty God. And I pray that this builds our faith, that we would not waver and look to ourselves to work things out, but we'll simply wait patiently on the Lord, wait on you, and trust that you will bring about everything you've told us. We have all of the covenant blessings in Christ. And if we know him, if we are united to him by faith, we are in the best possible spot that anyone could ever be in. We know you through Christ. Thank you for our beautiful high priest, Jesus. Thank you for our prophet, priest, and king, our mediator of a covenant, a gracious one, the one covenant of grace that was from Genesis 3.15 on. Bring unity, God, in these things, and may we cherish them with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.